Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. God, you're so good to us to meet with us this morning. We thank you for the incredible privilege that it is to come before your throne and to give you the praise that you rightfully deserve. God, we're not really giving you anything. We're recognizing you as the creator God of our lives, the sovereign one who is over all and in all and through all and the one that sent Jesus to die on the cross and rise again from the dead and ascend into heaven. And we pray in his name asking that you would do supernatural things inside of us as we hear your word. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have freedom to speak to every heart and mind. Cause the distracted mind to focus. Cause the, Lord, the despondent mind to feel encouragement. Cause the weary mind to find refreshment in Jesus. And God, may you speak for the glory of your name. May you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 111, uh, the title that I gave this sermon is The Great Works of God. And if you have read Psalm 111, um, more power to you. A lot of people have not, right? So Psalm 111 is a psalm of praise to our God for his mighty works. And if you are looking for a companion psalm, the next psalm, Psalm 112, is the companion psalm that you should find. So if you're looking for something to read this week in your Bible, read Psalm 112 and then relate it back to the sermon that you're going to hear now and the word that we just read. Uh, Psalm 111 is a Hebrew acrostic, which basically means if you knew, if you knew Hebrew or if you know Hebrew, it is in alphabetical order and it's beautiful and it's artistic, but because we are Gentile pagans, amen, we don't read Hebrew acrostic very well, so we, we lose some of the sense of the beauty of God in Psalm 111 just because it's in English. But it's actually this Hebrew acrostic, it's very beautiful, and it's a psalm of praise. Just like last week was a call to praise God, this week is also a call to praise God. But in this psalm, we are praising him because he is a worker. God does mighty works, okay? Now, aren't you glad about that? Amen? Aren't you glad God works on your behalf and on our behalf? Um, now, here's a question. Who works more? You or God? Mm, trick question. Who works harder? You or God? You see, there's a gospel of works that is floating around in our culture today that says if you work hard enough and if you just have enough determination and if you really get after it, you can actually do God a favor. All right, that is heresy to the highest order. But it is the gospel of works that our culture buys into and then preaches. Here's what I mean. Uh, Mark Cuban, some of you know him from uh, Sports World. He owns the Dallas Mavericks basketball team. Some of you know him from Shark Tank, the TV show. He's a multi-bajillionaire, right? You may have heard of him because he's very rich. Here's what he said. It's not about money or connections. It's about the willingness 
to outwork and outlearn everyone. And all God's people said, that's gross, right? What about Bill Gates? You ever heard of this guy before? He said this, I never took a day off in my 20s. Not one. Maybe he should have taken a few days off, amen? <laughs> Did you know that unlike the gospel of the world, the false gospel, the true gospel is what Jesus said. In John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, My Father is always working, and so am I. I'm always working. Have you ever read that verse before? That's a powerful verse, because what's Jesus saying? He's saying that when you go to sleep and when I go to sleep, God doesn't go to sleep. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? God never goes to sleep. God is always doing good works. God is always working his glory in the perfection of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is never freaked out like we're freaked out. COVID didn't take God by surprise. Aren't you glad? Amen. All the societal craziness that's going on in our country, in our world, God is not surprised. God is at work. And you need to take joy in the reality of Psalm 111 this morning. That God is at work. And so we are going to see God at work. Here's something just to take home. If you see God working, like if that's the eyes by which you see the world, you're going to praise God a lot more. Amen? If you don't see with the eyes of faith and you don't see God working and you think it's all just humanistic stuff, you won't praise God as much as you should. Because... Here's the, here's the big idea. Believers will praise God in proportion to how much they study and see his works. That's what verse 1 and 2 say. Praise the Lord, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and in the congregation. Now, starting there in verse 1, the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord. Now, if you don't know Hebrew, I'm going to teach you one Hebrew word, hala, right? This is the first word of this psalm, which is where we get our word hallelujah. So, so basically, the psalmist is saying hallelujah, hallelujah. So you know Hebrew now, amen? Amen. In the company of the upright, I'm going to give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. This psalm is already challenging us, isn't it? He's calling us to give praise with our whole heart. And you were like waking up this morning saying, God, I was only fixing on giving you half my heart this morning. Three quarters of my heart if Josh's sermon is really good. Can I get an amen? I'll give you three quarters, God. But I mean all my heart, my whole heart. That's what you want from me this morning? Yep. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. The word studied means to seek after. So to seek after means to passionately pursue. So it's like, um, it's like somebody who's on the verge of a life-changing, world-altering discovery. You know, that person who's almost made the discovery that's going to change everything. It's Edison with the light bulb. He's seeking after how to make it work. And when he does, everything changes. That's the word studied. If you're going to praise God a lot, you better study God's works. And that doesn't mean locking yourself into some classroom, seminary classroom, or some sort of university classroom and saying, oh, I know all about God now because I filled my brain with facts. 
To study God means to pursue Him. Christian, can I ask you this morning, when is the last time you really pursued God? I mean, not just to fill your brain with facts, but to fill your heart with God. That's what it means to study God. What's He doing? What's he doing in my life right now? What's he doing in my neighborhood? What's he doing in the Old Testament? What's he doing with Jesus? What's he doing, going to do in the future? That is what it means to be hungry, to study God. So here's the question that I think the, the text begs to ask is this, what kind of works has God done then? If Psalm 111 is all about the works of God, then what kind of works has he done? And, and you know, what kind of works should I be looking for? If I'm going to study, what should I be looking for? And I think the psalmist is going to answer the question in Psalm 111. Here's the types of works of God. Okay? Now, as we get into that, um, here's just something I want you to think through as Psalm 111 rolls along here. When I study God's works, those works will work in my heart. Does that make sense? So as I study God's works, those very works that I study, you will find in them supernatural power to work in your heart as you study them, and then you'll start working it out. Does that work? So we're going to see three types of work this morning that God does, that he has done, that he is doing, that he will do, that leads to our praise. Type number one is this, saving works. The saving works of God in verse 3 and 4 Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. This is such an awesome set of verses because it's telling us that the first type of work that God does is a saving work, a wondrous work. The wondrous works in verse 4 that those are more than likely the psalmist referring back to the nation of Israel getting out of Egypt. You guys remember that whole scene? That's probably what he's talking about where the plagues come and then all of a sudden the, the death of the firstborn moves Pharaoh to a place where he says, get out of here. I can't, I can't stand it. Get out of here. And then they go and then where do they go? Do they go to the Red Sea, right? They're in between a rock and a hard place. There's no place to go. They're looking around. They're saying, thanks, Moses. Did you, did you bring us out here to die? First time of many times that they're going to say that to their leader. And Egypt is coming behind with the chariots and the swords and the scary stuff. And here comes Moses. Wait for the Lord. Boom. He puts his staff right in the middle of that Red Sea and all of a sudden the winds of God and the miraculous power of God show up. And you know what? There's one pathway out. One pathway to salvation. One pathway for the salvation of the nation. And they go through and then you remember the walls come down on Pharaoh and all of his chariots. And here's what the point of the psalmist is. God does wondrous things miraculous things, things that we cannot even begin to understand. And he does that because he wants to save his people. Amen? Do you know God likes to save people? Can I get a witness? He likes to save people. Save them from what? Save them from their sins. Save them from their desperate condition. That's what our God does. And those are the types of saving works that we look at and we're like, that's miraculous, that's amazing when God pulls somebody out. 
of an impossible situation saves them and brings them into eternal life. That is amazing. That is our God. Now, how did they get out of Egypt? Well, a lot of plagues. <laughs> One of them was flies. You remember that? One of the flies, all the flies coming in. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's summer in Iowa, and we have a devil fly at our house. Can I get a witness? Good night. This fly is supernaturally evil, possessed by Satan. I'm convinced of it. Messed up my devotions two days ago. I was trying to walk with Jesus, get in the word, be led by the spirit of God. And this fly is just like, I am here to mess with you. So it's all over my arms. I'm just like, it's fast. It's a fast fly, fast. I can't get it. And then like, like I'm just like, forget it. I'm going to a different room, right? And, and I'm gonna trust that the fly can't supernaturally track me with its evil radar, so I go to the other room and, and, and it lives on and then it's, it, was, it was even living last night and my wife is like, I can't kill this fly. I'm like, I know, it's demon possessed. We better have a prayer meeting right now. Let's pray over this fly. Okay, listen, <laughs> that is one fly, one fly messing with my life. Try tens of millions of them everywhere you look. That's one of the plagues of Egypt. The worst one was the death of the firstborn and, and if you didn't have the blood of an innocent lamb covering the doorposts of your house, the, the angel of death or the angel of the Lord would come through and your firstborn is dead if you are not covered in the blood by faith. And so that was really the ticket out because that was where all the people of Israel put the blood on the doorpost and they by faith believed in the innocent lamb to cover their son or their daughter, their oldest sibling, and the angel of the Lord passed by, but he didn't pass by Pharaoh's house. How do you explain those works? You don't. They're just miraculous. They're wonderful. They're amazing. They're wondrous works. These are what we are to remember. The Lord is gracious and merciful. This is a quote from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where God has his glory passed by Moses. And Moses is like, show me your glory, God. And God's like, you can't see my glory. If you see my glory, you're going to die. I will cause my name to go by you and the entrails of my glory. And he says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. So the, the psalmist is showing us that there are wonderful saving works. What's the most wonderful saving work that you have seen lately? Christian, what, what is it? Because you should be thinking about things in your mind that God has done recently that have been saving. And if you don't have any testimony, start asking God for a testimony. Ask God for a testimony. Give me eyes to see your saving works, God, because you are a saving God. And at the very least, if you are a believer in Jesus, the, the number one saving work that you should testify about is your own soul being saved by Jesus. Amen? If you don't see a lot of other people coming to Christ in your life, don't have a crisis. Just be thankful that you're saved. And start looking for the wondrous works of God in your life. The greatest, most wondrous work of salvation in history was God sending his son, Jesus. 2,000 years ago to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to rise again from the dead, and to ascend from this earth to heaven onto his rightful throne. 
where he rules and reigns above every principality, every power, every spiritual force of darkness, and every nation, including the U.S. of A. Can I get a witness? Amen? So and the reality of this good news, this wondrous work, is that anybody, 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 and when I say anybody, I mean anybody in this room, you will be saved in a moment in time if you simply cry out to this Jesus. And you ask him to save you from your sins. He will save you. You want to talk about a miracle this morning? That would be the greatest miracle of all time. God saving you. So God does saving works. What else does he do? He does establishing works. That's the second point in this psalm. He does establishing works. This is verse 5 and 6. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. First of all, what does God do? He doesn't just save you, he establishes you. And he does that by giving you food. Praise God for McDonald's, amen? I mean, that's good. Now, now he's not talking about McDonald's here. He is talking about manna that came to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And if you don't know what manna is, if this is your first time ever hearing about manna, that is the frosted flakes of the morning, amen? That's what that is. That's God's frosted flakes every single day. He provides for his people manna, and they didn't like frosted flakes for a bit, so they asked for some meat, and they got quail, so much quail that it was coming out of their nostrils. That's gross. Careful what you ask God for, amen, right? But God provides food. He doesn't mean to save you and then just leave you to die. He means to save you so that he can establish you. He's going to feed you. He's going to remember his covenant. How long is he going to remember his covenant? Verse 5. He's going to remember his covenant forever. He will never forget his covenant. If he has saved you in Jesus and found you with covenant love, he will never, ever turn away from that covenant. Aren't you glad? Once you're saved, you're saved. You're stuck with Jesus and he's stuck with you. Praise, praise God. Not only does he save and establish, but he, he just, he does this so beautifully. Like he took the nation through the wilderness and then he brings them into the promised land to establish them. Do you remember the scene in, in Joshua chapter 3 through 5 where they crossed the Jordan River in flood stage? Do you remember what they did? They sent the priests up front and the priests start walking like this. I mean, this is trippy stuff. The priests start walking and the river stops flowing. How do you explain that? You don't. That, that's, a, that's a miracle of God. What's he doing? He's establishing his nation. In they come, and you know the next story, the Jericho walls came a-tumbling down. And they did that through a miracle of God as well, where they march around, not the best war strategy in the world. What do you want us to do, God? you want us to take the city? you want to fight? Yeah, no, I want you to march and play trumpets. Okay, okay. Why does God do that? Because he's establishing his people through his power. So he gets the glory. And in the midst of this, what does he do? He puts them in Jerusalem so that they can be in the center of God's blessing. And in the midst of that, what do they do? They are called to have an inheritance among where? The nations. Jerusalem is meant to be a light to the Gentiles. 
to every people group that ever come in and through the Middle East. They see that this is the true God. This is where salvation is found. God has established his covenant people and he is going to not only establish them, he's going to take care of them. And as a Gentile, I can come into Jerusalem and I can meet God and get saved because God is clearly working here. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for all peoples everywhere. And he says things like, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations. He didn't say, go and make disciples of the USA. He didn't go, go and make disciples of China only. Go and make disciples of Germany only. He says, go and make disciples of all people groups everywhere And as you do that, you're going to do that with uh, people who are not very smart according to worldly standards. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. People are going to get sent out and they're not going to be like, well, you're not many wise, not many strong, not many super blessed by the world's standards. But Jesus is up to something great through a bunch of losers like Peter, James, and John. Can I get an amen? Amen. He, He is working through people who the world would call foolish and all of a sudden, like, there's this, there's this Saul guy who's a Pharisee, and God turns his life around and saves him. And all of a sudden, through this unexpected, amazing group of people, God starts bringing salvation to Western Europe and Africa and Asia and all throughout the nations. What is evangelism but the inheritance of the nations coming to your eyes and your experience? And Satan is sitting there thinking, that's not fair. I I meant to crush Jesus at the cross and stop the establishment of the works of God. But Jesus rose again, amen? And he's ascended into heaven, amen? And he is now using people like you and me, foolish people like us, to spread the most amazing news in the world that people can be saved from their sins. And he is establishing his work, not just in Jerusalem, but in and through the entire world. Now, I want to show you something. Okay, I think I got it here. Let's see if we can get it here. I just want you to watch this video. I'll explain it later. Feel the rhythm. This is BBS. There's Julie McDaniel dancing. There's my daughter dancing with no rhythm whatsoever. But she tries hard, doesn't she? I mean, it's fun. BBS makes you want to get up, dance, have fun. I expect all the adults to do this right after this. Okay. So this is the video of just one of the experiences that we had this week. And as you look at that video, what you may not have seen is that in that group there were people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. There were kids that were white-skinned and yellow-skinned and brown-skinned and black-skinned and everything in between. We had Hindus and Buddhists like sitting in the back, parents watching all this happen, and they loved it. They, they dug it. And I thought of this verse all week long 
And God brought me to worship multiple times throughout the week to say, God, what are you doing here? Because a lot of these kids we pulled from, you know, from apartment buildings that are just right around here and just, I mean, literally all world religions like coming in. God, you're establishing an inheritance among the nations. We have very little to do with that. In fact, we have zero to do with that. But here's what I thought as I was looking at all these kids that I love, got to hug them, got to meet their parents. I was thinking, God, you're already doing this. Amen? You're already at work. I don't have to manufacture the work. You're already at work. By your Spirit's power, through the power of Jesus Christ, you are drawing in people because they don't know what they feel. They feel something. And you know what it's called? It's called the love of God. Amen? And just at 8.30 this morning, we have, we have a Muslim lady that comes every Sunday morning at 8.30 service, and she sits, and she's just, she doesn't know Jesus yet, but here's what she does know. She comes up to me, and she gives me a hug, and she wears her, her shawl every week, and she says, Pastor, I don't know exactly all that you talk about. She's like, but I do know this, the love of God is here. You can pray that she meets Jesus, okay? You can pray. And we've been uniquely established. Living Waters has been uniquely established in this community for the glory of God so that we might have a front row seat to the inheritance of the nations. That's why I love... Don't cry. Don't cry. That's why I love this church. That's why I love what God's doing here. There's a lot bigger works elsewhere. There's a lot of other fancy things that go on in a lot of churches all over the world. But I love our little part that we get to play. To see God bring an inheritance of the nations through Jesus. That's the second type of work. It's an establishing work. And finally, we have a sustaining work. This is the third type of work that God does, verses 7 through 9, a sustaining work. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all of his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The works of his hands are established forever and ever. What does that mean? It means this, that God's works have never changed ever. From eternity past to eternity future, the works of God have remained the same. In, in theological language, it means immutability. Aren't you glad Hebrews says Jesus Christ never changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How about you and me? Can I get a witness? Do we change? Whoa! Woe do we change. We change all the time. And here is our God who does the works of his hands from eternity past in the present and into the future. And he's never going to change what he does. He's always establishing his good work in our lives forever and ever and ever. This is so good. Because when we die, we might be worried about, hey, how's the church going to survive without us? You know what the answer is? Just fine. Because Jesus Christ is the one who is on his throne doing his work for his church. We have a very small part to play. Oh, we should smile. 
that we have such a small part to play in his big thing. And here's what I mean. Here's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. He says, by grace you have been saved and you have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And here's the, here's the power verse right here. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty and the reality of knowing Jesus. He saved you, he's established you, and he will sustain you to the end. The best part of the gospel is that this is not the end. This is the warm-up. The 70 to 80 years you get on this planet, you might think, this is all I get. This is all I get. I got to take that vacation. I got to do that thing. I got to get that experience. I got to go do all this stuff. As your pastor, can I just say, no, you don't. This life is to be lived for Christ. And when you die, you will be more alive than you have ever been in your life if you know Jesus. And you are going to see an inheritance. You are going to see glory. You are going to see the future reign of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. And you will be alive and you will say, 70 to 80 years, I can barely remember what happened in that brief momentary spot called my life. And Jesus will say, I sustained you in it and I'm sustaining you now and forevermore because in the coming ages, ages, plural, there's multiple things coming. If you know your eschatology, I'm preaching end times in the fall. Can I get a scary witness? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm preaching end times in the fall. There's multiple ages to come here. We are not at the end. There are multiple ages to come. And for the ages to come, you know what you're going to be doing as a Christian? God is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his greatness and his power and his love towards us in Christ Jesus. And that's going to sustain us, not only in this life, but in the life to come. What else did Jesus do? Well, he sent redemption. And this is where we're going to finish. He sent redemption, which means he took the initiative to save his people. The word redemption in verse 9, it means to be released from slavery or imprisonment. Jesus Christ sent redemption through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus did this so that people could be released from their sins. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you know the Son, or if you know the truth, in John 8, the truth will set you what? Free. Free from what? Free from slavery. Free from slavery to the same sins that you've always done. Jesus comes and he says, I'm coming with a good news gospel. And that good news is that I have come to redeem you, to pull you out of slavery to sin and servanthood of Satan. And I have called you to have life in me and freedom in me. And if I set you free, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you're free this morning, you got a song to sing. Amen? you got some praise to give to God. The resurrection of Jesus sets people free. And Jesus said it this way, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, eternity is not just a, a heaven destination, it's a current reality in your heart, right? 
Eternal life is not just something you get in the future. Eternal life is something you have right now if you have Jesus and you have hope and you can smile about whatever's going on with COVID. Can we just be done with COVID? Amen? Yeah. Loudest amen I got this morning is for COVID. I love it. Can we be done with all the crazy and the stuff? Find your joy and hope, not in your headlines, but in your Jesus. God will sustain. Believe it. He'll sustain you to the end. We lean on him for that power, and he has that power to do that work. So here, as we close, believers will praise God in proportion to how much they study and see God's works. So we praise him this morning. We say hallelujah. Why? We, we, we say hallelujah for his saving works. We say hallelujah for his establishing works. We say hallelujah for his sustaining works. So as we go to communion, you're going to have about 10 minutes just to get alone with Jesus. Talk to him. You have this opportunity to mute out the nursery if that's physically possible. But there'll be music playing over, overhead. And you can think about your praise. If you know Jesus, you have so much to praise him for. For his salvation, for his establishing you, and for his sustaining you. And if there's sin in your life, it's time to get it right. This is a great time to get it right with God. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're just, you're just here. You're just checking out what church is all about, what, what Christianity might be. This, this could be a great morning to get saved. To give your life to Jesus Christ. To admit you're a sinner. To confess that you need him as your savior. If you're a believer, 10 minutes of music, whenever you're ready, you can go back and get the elements, the, the bread and the juice. Come back to your seat and just wait. Talk to Jesus. Give him whatever you gotta give him. And wait for us. We'll all do it together. If you don't know Jesus... Don't go back and get communion. Don't do that. Just sit in your chair and meet Jesus for the first time. Get saved. Communion mornings, I've always said, are great mornings to become Christians as you consider what Christ has done for you. So that's what's ahead of us right now. Let's pray and we'll, we'll, we'll go into communion time. Father, thank you for your works. What a beautiful psalm. Psalm 111 is for us. God, we will praise you in proportion to how much we study and see your works. So God, would you please give every believer in this house eyes to see your works and give you genuine praise from our hearts. May communion be a meaningful act of worship for every genuine Christian here. And Lord, if there's some that are here that are just lost, they, are, they don't know what they're doing, they're full of sin, they're full of lostness, God, would you just show them that the greatest work you want to do inside of them this morning is save them. Lead them to repentance and faith and confession of Jesus. Lord, guide our time together. May you be pleased with it. In Jesus' name, amen.